Hey, thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We're one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. And if you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this service with others and you can give by clicking the link below. But for now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message. You have come and we have found life everlasting. Now a life to know your freedom, never ending. The 
pleasure for the traitor No ear it heard, no eye it see The image of the Father Until heaven came to live with me A rescue like no other Let him hear it! Yes, you are
brothers and sisters in Christ, I greet you with the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I urge you to keep the fight of faith. Fight to retain your faith in the good news of Jesus, who conquered sin and death. Fight for fellowship with God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, who longs to be with you. Fight for fellowship with the Vine Church, for you belong to the body, and the body belongs to you. Fight oppression and injustice, which opposes the kingdom of God. And fight to share your faith and make disciples until you reach one, until everyone. The good fight. How are you, church? Good. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you this morning. For those of you I haven't had the privilege of getting to meet yet, my name is Andrew Irwin, and I get to be one of the pastors here at the Vine Church. And I need to start with a little bit of a confession moment for you this morning. I'm standing before you with a little bit of fear and trepidation today. I've got some nerves with me today. That's because our scripture passage that the Lord has kind of led us to in this series talks about how we should treat those who are our elders. And I actually learned something about how to treat our elders on my very first Sunday here at the Vine Church. See, nearly four years ago to the day, I stood right here in this place and, and I mentioned on that Sunday that I was feeling a little old because I had just celebrated my 30th birthday and, and I was feeling my age. And then in that message, I went on to share some of my pet peeves. Um, by the way, I still do not think it is ever appropriate on any occasion for couples to sit on the same side of the booth. Okay, just putting that out there. It is likewise not appropriate for you to be like the staff of the Vine Church and to text me photos of couples who are sitting on the same side of the booth. It's not okay, it's never okay. But in that message, I made a huge mistake because then I, I turned to you all and said, hey, are there any pet peeves that you all, that you'd like to share with me? And, and, and someone, I'm not gonna mention names who sit right there, um, um, stood up and said, you know what my pet peeve is? When people who are 30 complain about feeling old. <laughs> Lesson learned, okay? Now, here's the good news. I've been doing some research on age, and there's some really interesting studies coming out of the University of California, Berkeley. And what they're saying is that the average person doesn't start to feel old until they're 60 years old. That's, that's some good news, right? Now, here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. In the United States today, a person crosses the threshold from being a part of the younger half of the nation into being part of the more senior half of the nation at the age of 38. So when you are 38, you, you have, you've graduated from, from the younger half of our country to the, the more advanced, seasoned side of the country. For those of you I just ruined your morning, I'm sorry, okay, I'm sorry. But I do have good news for you. Now, I cannot change the number of times you have ridden the earth around the sun, I can't do that. Here, here's what I can let you know. That number may not matter that much at all. That's because scientists have actually teamed up with doctors and done research and what they've discovered is that what's actually more important than the date on your birth certificate is how old you feel. 
They're calling that your subjective age. And they actually believe, they actually believe that there's a better predictive quality to a person's subjective age than to their biological age. Now, my guess is, if you're like me, you've known people all your life who acted different than they actually looked, right? Their age that they acted was very different from the age they felt. Like, I remember being in elementary school and there was a kid who acted like he was 48 when he was eight, right? <laughs> like, there's always those kids. And likewise, you probably know some 48-year-olds who act like they're eight, right? Like, like that's just part of it. I actually met a guy out in the lobby who was like, I'm about to turn 40, but I act 16. So does that make it my subjective age? I said, sure, right? <laughs> Right? I mean, the reality is, if that's going to be a better predictor of our actual health, then let's roll with that number. So the next time somebody asks you how old you are, just, just tell them how you feel. You know, <laughs> I'm 29. Absolutely. Right? And here's what's interesting. If you're one of those people who wants to fight the fight of staying a little bit younger, of dropping your subjective age, there's actually research that points to three key things that you can do to stay younger. The first is for you to be present. It's for you to be present because what they've discovered is that people who spend all of their time worrying about their past, their past regrets, their, their mistakes, their past failures, and those people who look ahead with all the, the worry about and concern about what the future holds, both of them end up just stressed to the max. And that makes you a little older. And the second thing you can do is to stay curious, to stay curious curious, which means that you continue to learn new things. Here's what's interesting. As we get older, we believe two different lies. The first is that we know everything. And the second is that we're too old to learn anything new. Neither of those things are true. And yet we buy into them. And because of that, sometimes we miss out on the third thing that we can do to stay younger, which is to try new things, to try new things. Because when you're trying something new, it provides a fresh perspective for you. And when you're actually getting better at something new, it's harder for you to feel older. And I do wanna encourage you to really be intentional to fight to stay younger, to fight to lower your subjective age. And I think that's because when I was in seminary, I had the, I had the privilege of being a pastor to a person who was a super centenarian. And that sounds a little bit like a superhero. It actually just means a person who's older than 110 years old. And so this is Bessie Cooper. I actually got to be Bessie's pastor on her 113th birthday. It was a rockin' party. I'll tell you what, Bessie knows how to party. It was awesome. Um, and what was interesting about Bessie is I learned a whole lot about age from her. I remember one day when I was going to visit her in the nursing home in Monroe, Georgia, and you can't say it Monroe, it's Monroe, Georgia. And I would go to visit Bessie and you had to sit on Bessie's right hand side because that was the only ear she could hear out of, okay? And so when you had a conversation, you kind of ended up shouting and I said, good morning, Bessie, how are you? And she turned and kind of looked at me and she said, Getting old ain't easy. And she would know, right? When you're 113, you know something about getting old. Now, when Bessie actually passed away, she was the oldest living human being on the planet at 116 years of age. Yeah. And what's interesting about Bessie to me is I, I've learned a lot from her. And one of those things that I've just always remembered is that getting old ain't easy. 
And we're all on that journey together because all of us are getting older and we need to pay attention to the way that we treat those who are a little bit further down the road from us. And that's true of us today. And it was true of Timothy when Paul was writing to him. And so if you brought your Bibles or have a Bible app with you, I'm gonna invite you to go ahead and open up with me to 1 Timothy chapter five. And as you're turning to 1 Timothy chapter five, I just wanna remind you that throughout this message series, we've actually been walking through the book of 1 Timothy. At least we, we call it a book. It's actually a letter that was written from a pastor named Paul to his protege named Timothy. And what Paul was trying to do is he was kind of wrapping up his ministry. He was reaching the end of his life and he wanted to make sure that he had somebody in place who could kind of carry on the work of making disciples, making disciples in the life of the local church. And that was a big big deal for Paul. And Paul knew that in order for Timothy to really be on that trajectory, that he had to have a real understanding of how to lead people who were older than he was. And so let's check out the wisdom that Paul imparts to his protege, Timothy, picking up with verse one. It says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity, in all purity. Now, Timothy cannot do anything about his age. He can't change his age. He's young. He knows it. Paul knows it. The church he's leading knows it. Everybody knows that he is young. And while he can't change his age, he can change his attitude. And I think that's actually what Paul was trying to get at here. If we go back to the first verse, it says this, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Now, he's not getting on Timothy's case for what he's doing. It's not a matter of what he's doing, it's how he's doing it. He's saying, hey, Timothy, it, you're gonna have to, to have some corrective conversations with people in your congregation. They're gonna do some things that is not going to be in alignment with what Jesus is calling them to do. They're, they're gonna make some decisions that are out of bounds for what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And you're gonna have to have some difficult pastoral conversations. But when you have those conversations, don't bark at them. Don't rebuke them. Don't come in with a heavy hand trying to put them in their place. No. When you go to have a conversation with somebody who needs to grow in grace, which by the way, we all need to have, have those conversations every now and then because you never graduate from growing in grace. Can we agree on that church? Yeah. When you go to have those conversations, don't rebuke them. Encourage them. Encourage them. Speak to them like you would a mother. Speak to the older women like you would a father, like speak to those older men like you would a father and younger, older men. Ugh. Speak to the older people as mothers and fathers. Okay? Yes. I'm glad we we're all on the same page about that. That's good. And then Paul gives Timothy some encouragement on how he should speak to the younger people in the congregation. He basically says, hey, when you speak to somebody who's about your age, I want you to speak to them as a brother. That means I want you to speak to them with a the level of respect. Like respect them because here's the deal. Nobody's gonna listen to you if they just know you're there to break them down. But if they know that you're there to build them up, they're going to listen to you. They're gonna lean into you instead of leaning away from you. And, and Timothy, listen, if you are going to reach the young women in your congregation and lead them to a place of holiness, you can't hit on them. Listen, listen, this is what it says. You need to treat all of the younger women in the church like a sister, not a sorority sister. A sister in all 
purity. And we talked about this word purity last week. Pastor David explained that that word purity means sinless. Now, here's why this matters. Here's why this was a big deal for Paul. Almost all historians agree that Timothy, like Paul, was a single guy. He was a single eligible bachelor in a position of leadership. He was in a position of power and authority. And what Paul did not want Timothy to do was to forfeit his right to lead. And the quickest way for you to forfeit your right to lead is to manipulate someone for your gain. And so what he's saying is, hey, Timothy, listen, you've got to get this. You've got to understand the importance of your behavior towards the people that you're going to be leading. You've got to get this right. Because the very first the very first thing you need to understand about leadership in the church is that you've got to be a follower of Christ. You cannot lead the church if you won't follow Christ. And the way you follow Christ is to pay attention to the life of Christ and the words of Christ. Listen to what Jesus says. This is what Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. He says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I love that. Jesus's life wasn't about what he could get. It was all about what he could give. And in fact, I would argue that that's what makes the life and ministry of Jesus so awe-inspiring and so attractive to so many people. People flocked to Jesus because he was the son of God. He was God in the flesh. And he never once used his position of authority to take advantage of another person. He never once used who he was for his gain, it was always for God's good. And that makes all the difference in the world. And this was the way that Jesus understood ministry. And it was the way that Paul understood ministry. And Paul took it upon himself to make sure that this is the way that Timothy understood ministry. Now, I, I wanna be clear on this. What makes Jesus so fascinating to me is that he could have done anything with his life. He could have. He was the son of God in the flesh. He was the best teacher of all time. He was the most influential leader to ever walk the face of the planet. And instead of, instead of rising into a position of political power, he decided that he would rather empower others. Think about that. When the people around Jesus wanted to come to him and make him a political leader, he bailed. Listen to what happened in John chapter six, verse 15. It says this perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. <laughs> See, Jesus understood that this life, it's not about what you can get from others. At the end of the day, it's about what you can give to others. And Paul grabbed onto this and lived a life that looked a lot like the life of Christ. And he wanted that for Timothy as well. And so what he, what he encouraged Timothy to do was to make sure that his attitude was always in the right place. And the way for him to do that was to serve the most vulnerable in his community. It was to serve the widows. And in fact, this is what he writes, picking up with verse three of chapter five. He says this, honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. 
Now, the subject of widows is really important in this cultural context because there was a disproportionate number of widows. And the reason for that is typically when couples got married, the, the girl was a teenager and the, and the man was in his 20s, which means that there was automatically an age gap there. And in this day and age, men didn't live as long as women, especially those who had enlisted in the military. And so there was a lot of women who had outlived their spouse and that put them in such a dangerous, vulnerable position. Because when a woman, her husband passed away, she lost all standing in that society. And for the majority of women, they did not have a way to bring in enough income. And so the expectation in that culture was that, was that um, sons and grandsons, that the kids and the grandkids would come alongside and take care of that widow as a way of fulfilling their obligation to the fifth commandment, which is to honor your father and honor your mother. Teenagers, did you hear that? The fifth commandment is to honor your father and honor your mother. When my kids misbehave, I, I just have the tendency to, to slowly put my hand up like this, right? Just as a reminder that the reason you have to honor me is not because I said so, because God said so. Drop the mic, right? Right? Now, that's such a beautiful thing. Now, there is people who, who Paul actually writes about who would have been classified as a true widow, and these would have been tragic cases. This would have been a woman who was married and for whatever reason doesn't have any children or grandchildren who can take care of them. Maybe they weren't able to have kids or maybe they did have kids and they passed away, but there's no one to care for them. They're on their own in a society without standing and without a way to earn any income. And as you can imagine, Jesus cares deeply for people who find themselves in that kind of vulnerable position. And Jesus also gets fired up when the religious leaders of his day don't seem to care about the women who find themselves in that position and in that plight. In fact, Jesus actually speaks to the religious leaders about this. And this is what he says in Mark chapter 12, verse 38. He says, and in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes. And the scribes were the religious leaders who like to walk around in their long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Listen, Jesus spent the majority of his ministry hanging out with the outcasts he hung out with, with tax collectors and those classified as sinners. It wasn't out of the realm of norm for him to hang out with prostitutes. And what he says is the greater condemnation is not for them. It's for the religious leaders who are refusing to take care of those who are in the most need. Those who are the most vulnerable, who need the most help are being completely ignored by the religious establishment. And it is infuriating to Jesus. And it should be infuriating to us. And I think that's why Paul writes to Timothy and says, hey, listen, you've got to be about the work of taking care of the least among you. And right now, those are the widows. You've got to make sure that they are being taken care of. And when you do that, Timothy, when you do that, you'll discover that it helps you fight the most important fight of all. See, I think for most of us, the most important fight that we have to fight is to get our attitude right. If we can get our attitude right, a lot of other things fall into place. And Paul knew that if Timothy, if Timothy was consistently serving those who were the least, 
that his attitude would always be right before the Lord. Now, if you're Timothy and you're doing a good work as a pastor and you're leading a growing church, getting this letter from Paul probably would have been a little bit frustrating. I could imagine putting myself into Timothy's shoes and you get a letter from your protege, your mentor in ministry, the person who led you to Christ. You get a letter from him saying, hey, I need you to press pause on all the things that you're doing so that you can go serve the least of these in your community. If I'm Timothy, I'm going, whoa, 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 I'm doing a good job here. We're growing the church. There is a move of God that's happening and people's lives are being radically changed. And you want me to press pause on that to go take care of the widows? Like, hold on, hold on, Paul, wouldn't it be better if I, if I instead of going to the least in our society, the people who have, the, like, who have nothing to offer the cause of Christ, instead of going to them, what if I went to those in our community who have the most to offer to Christ? Like, what if I find the wealthy and get them on board? Because then they could dump their resources towards the cause of bringing the kingdom here. Or what if I get the political people, like the, the people with the most influence in our community? What if I got them on board? Can't I stop what I'm doing to focus on them? And I think the reason that Paul writes this way to Timothy is because he wanted him to understand that there is a kingdom principle at play. See, while most of us would look for the people who can help us the most, in the kingdom of God, there's something incredible that happens when we look for the people who can actually help us the least. And we commit to serving them. In fact, I've just come to the belief that there is a kingdom principle that when we serve the least, that the Lord can work in us the most. When we serve the least, the Lord can work in us the most. Part of the reason that I love mission trips and and, and I love that we have a team in Nika right now that are serving the least is because I can't wait to hear from them when they get back. They're gonna have all kinds of stories about how they went there to go bless and serve the people of Nicaragua. And I guarantee you, they're gonna come back and you're gonna hear about how they were blessed and served by being there. Because there's something that happens when you go with the intention of serving the least. And that is that the Lord moves in your life the most. And when the Lord moves in your life, it's never for you alone. He moves in your life to be a blessing to all the lives around you. That's why we've got to recognize that Paul tells Timothy, listen, I want you to press pause on preparing for Sunday morning worship to go get groceries for a widow. I want you to pause preparation for the next prayer meeting so that you can go do a repair for a person who needs it. I want you to stop with all of your priorities so that you can have some kingdom priorities. Because when you have kingdom priorities, you watch as the Lord works in you in extraordinary ways because you have made it your mission to do what Jesus did, to serve the least and just watch as the Lord works in you the most. It's unbelievable how consistent the Lord is in doing just that. Now, this is the part of the message where many of you get uncomfortable and I'm gonna go ahead and just tell you that up front because this is the part where I'm just gonna go and let you know that when Timothy received this letter, he was busy. He had a lot going on. He was advancing the kingdom of God and growing disciples so that they could grow disciples. He was reaching one, so he could try to reach everyone. 
He was busy. And I know you are too. You're busy. In fact, some of you haven't heard a word I've said this morning because you're too busy building your to-do list of things you've got to get done this afternoon in order to be able to get done everything that you've got to get to the rest of the week. And all of those things are important. I'm not saying they're not a priority. They are. Those things are very important and they matter. But what you got to ask yourself is, when I look at my calendar, do I see all of my priorities? Or do I see Jesus's priorities? Because the kingdom principle tells us that when we serve the least, God can work the most. And I, I don't know if, if there's a, a widow that you're called to go to, but here's what I do know. I do know that all of us are called to pay attention to the vulnerable in our communities. And the vulnerable in our day and age tend to find themselves at either, a, at either end of the age spectrum, don't they? They're typically either the very young or the very old. And I don't know what it looks like for you to get involved with people in those categories. Maybe for you, maybe it's just stepping up into a role of, of really taking care of your aging parent. Maybe you kind of pushed that off or abdicated that responsibility to another sibling. Maybe you kind of told yourself, hey, I'm the baby. That's the older brother's responsibility. And maybe, maybe this is the time that you're gonna step up and you're gonna take care of your parents. You're gonna honor your father and honor your mother. And maybe that for you means that you're gonna, that you're gonna go hang out at a nursing home and give some of your time there. I, I don't know why this is the case, but my kids love going to the nursing home. And we typically time it so that we get to go around the holidays so that like we're passing out Valentine's at Valentine's Day. We're passing out candy around Halloween. We're passing out candy canes around Christmas. And I don't know who's having more fun as I watch my kids run around and throw candy at the old people. Like, <laughs> I, don't know if it's, I don't know if it's my kids who are chucking the Reese's and bouncing it off the people's heads or if it's the person who's getting knocked in the face with the candy because they're all smiles, they're all laughter because there's something that happens when you are intentional to line up your priorities with heaven's priorities. The Lord works in you when you serve the least. It's extraordinary. Now, maybe the Lord's not calling you to go to somebody at the older end of the spectrum. Maybe it's somebody at the younger end. Maybe the Lord's calling you to get involved in one of our local schools. Maybe the Lord's calling you to mentor somebody who's at risk. Maybe the Lord's calling you to partner with iServe Ministry to pack backpacks to make sure that the kids in our community have enough food to eat on the weekends and over the summer. Maybe the Lord's calling you to get involved at KidZoo because some of y'all still operate under the belief that KidZoo just magically happens on Sunday morning. <laughs> Let me be clear. It happens because there's men and women in our church who've made it a priority to care for the least. And you may not hear this any other time, but I just want you to hear this. When you serve in Kidzu, you have the opportunity to tell a child that they are a beloved child of God and that nothing can ever change that. And you might be the only person who ever says that to them. When you love the least, God can work the most. Listen, I don't know what it looks like for you to line up your priorities with heaven's priorities. But I'm telling you, if you will do that, if you will do that, the Lord will do something in you that you never imagined possible. And you will look more like Christ than you have ever looked before. 
And I know that the timing of this is hard. Because for the last few months, I've been having a hard time. Um, this season of transition has been tough. And based on my conversations with many of you, it's been tough for you as well. Um, David having his last Sunday be next Sunday was never part of the plan. When I, when I joined the team at the Vine, we were supposed to have a much longer run together because it's, it's not every day you get to work with one of your closest friends who happens to be one of the most gifted, incredible leaders that you're ever gonna find. And so I've been grieving. I've been hurting and I've been struggling. And I've, I've had moments where that grief has kind of manifested itself in uncertainty where I just wasn't sure what, what next looked like and I wasn't sure what the Lord was gonna do and I had questions and concern and I've had moments where I got to a point where I just felt almost paralyzed. Like I just was stuck and I couldn't move forward. But let me tell you something, the Lord has been so steadfastly gracious to me because every time I've had one of those moments where I just locked up and froze up, the Lord has reminded me just so gently <laughs> that who we are as a faith community is exactly who this community needs us to be. Because we have never been a church that was all about what we could get from this community. We've always been a church that, that asked the question, how much can we give to this community? And this community needs exactly this church. This community needs a place where people who are struggling and broken can come and recognize that there is a healer who is longing to put them back together. This community needs to understand that if your family is falling apart, you have a place to go because in this place, we see families put back together. This community needs to recognize that just because a, a couple is on the verge of divorce doesn't mean that the Lord can't work a miracle and there can't be reconciliation in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This community needs to recognize that there is a group of people who gather here to worship the living God and they do so with an understanding that their mission is to go and serve the least and seek the lost. And that is never gonna change. That is who we have always been as a church. And that is who we are always going to be as a church. And we're not gonna stop until we reach one, until we reach everyone, church. That is who we have always been. It's who we're always going to be. And it starts, it starts with us recognizing together that when we'll prioritize the least, we'll get to step back and watch the Lord work the most. I understand, I understand that you're busy and you have a lot going on. But let me just pose this to you. Some of you have told me again and again that you have surrendered your soul to the Lord. But we have conversation after conversation where you remind me that you refuse to surrender your schedule to him. What would it look like if you took out your calendar and started blocking off time for heaven's priorities here on earth? Here's what I'm convinced would happen. We'd see a move of God in this community unlike we've ever seen before. 
We'd see the Lord show up and show off in ways that we've only dreamed of. We would see God come into the lives of our friends, our families, and our neighbors in ways that we've never seen before. And heaven would come here because the Lord will work. He will move when the people of God line up with Christ and serve the least. And I recognize that this morning you might be going, I, I don't know that I can serve the least. I, I don't know that I have that in me. I'm not sure I can make the time. Listen, if you're sitting there today and you're thinking, I don't know that I can do this, it might be, it might be that you've never actually surrendered your life to Christ. And maybe today is the day that he's calling you to recognize that this world, it's not about what you can get. This world has always been and will always be about what we can give. And we know that because Christ Jesus is our head and he gave it all for us. He paid his life upon a cross, rose from the dead so that we might be raised to life with him. And if you've never received that truth for yourself, if you've never received the free grace and love that he has to offer you, then you have the opportunity to do that right now. Make today the day that you cross that line of faith and you step into the truth that you were made in the image of God. And he has huge plans that he prepared in advance for you to do. And those plans are gonna look a lot like the life of Jesus where you serve the least and step back and watch him work the most. There was a moment when the lights went out When death claims victory King of love, the giving of his life. The darkest day in history. There on the cross they made for sinners. For every curse and atone. Final breath and it was fitted. But not the end we could have known. For oh, the earth began to shake, and the veil was torn. What sacrifice was made as the heavens Don't you 
Real 